I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. We all know the rhyme, but what else do you know about Christopher Columbus? What do you really know? When it comes to explorers, none are more famous and yet less understood. Some people are taught that he discovered America, yet he never set foot here. His nationality is in dispute. His early years are a total mystery. Even his own journals are filled with misdirection. To some, he is an epic hero. To others, a bloodthirsty conqueror. But who was he really? There are two huge mysteries surrounding Columbus that may shed light on the true nature of his character, and both might be on the verge of being solved. The first involves the fate of his flagship, the Santa Maria, which hasn't been seen since she ran aground on Christmas Day of 1492 off the coast of Haiti. One explorer claims he's found what is one of the most important ships in history, but local authorities aren't so sure. And would you believe we can't even agree on where Columbus is buried? Two nations have been locked in a dispute over which has the explorer's bones, but now DNA evidence may finally unlock the answer. This is an expedition that will take me to the old world and the new, through four countries and 500 years of history, all to discover what is the true story of Christopher Columbus. My name is Josh Gates. With a degree in archeology span and a passion for exploration, my travels have taken me to the ends of the earth as I investigate the greatest legends in history. This is Expedition Unknown. To begin my expedition into the mysteries of Columbus, I'm bound for Madeira, a small island off the coast of Portugal in the North Atlantic Ocean. It's also where a young Christopher Columbus honed his navigational skills. 
Welcome to Funchal. This is the largest city here in Madeira, a place that has long been associated with exploration. It was founded by the Portuguese in 1420, part of their golden age of discovery. About 40 years later, it became home to Christopher Columbus. Little is known for certain about the early life of Columbus. He seems to appear in history fully formed, a self-made Gatsby for the age of explorers. Most scholars think he was born in Genoa, Italy, the son of a weaver. However, some historians have identified Columbus as Portuguese, Spanish, and even Jewish to boot. His arrival in Portugal is mysterious. He supposedly washes ashore in a shipwreck in 1476, and four years later, he arrives in Madeira to make his living as a chart maker, but he also develops an obsession with the sea. Madeira is steep, and to discover its history, you need to head uphill. Welcome to the top of Madeira. There's little physical evidence of Columbus here today. At his house, this window is all that remains. And through it, Columbus looked out on a very different world than ours. At the end of the 15th century, the European powers depend on trade along the famed Silk Road to India, but the route becomes blocked by the powerful Ottoman Empire. Spain and Portugal dispatch their best navigators to find an ocean route to the southeast around the tip of Africa. But the young chartmaker in Madeira has a different plan. To look west. It's easy to see why Columbus and his fellow colonists loved Madeira. The view up here can't be beat. In Columbus's time, though, getting back down to sea level quickly required a novel solution. Wicker sleds that would fly down the steep streets. They once carried bottles of Madeira's famous wine, but today they carry less precious cargo. Television personalities. I can literally feel and hear the wicker breaking under me, as I say. <laughs> That's not a good sign. This crazy contraption is called a Carriero Stamante, and it is not for the faint of heart or the weak of bladder. There we go. This is insane. Good Lord! Yeah! Yeah! Wall! Wall! Imagine flying 30 miles an hour downhill in a breadbasket from Pottery Barn with no brakes, and you'll get an idea of how safe this is. There's an intersection? Are you kidding me? Yeah! Excellent work, boys. I'm just gonna sit here for a minute and think about the choices in my life that brought me to this moment. Shaking off my near-death experience, I get it together and head to the docks to meet historian Ricardo Jardim. I'm hopeful that he can shed some light on what kind of man Columbus really was and reveal more about his fateful voyage. He told me he has a boat by the docks and, well, it's not hard to spot. How are you? I'm fine. Welcome on board. This is the Santa Maria? Yes. When you yes. said you had a boat, I didn't realize you had the boat. Why don't you come on board and I show you how we sail it? Now, unlike the real Santa Maria, we're going to come back though, right? Yes, yes. Built by local craftsmen, this is one of the only working replicas of the Santa Maria in the world. Put about 500 years on her odometer and this could be the boat I'm looking for. This is the same size as the Santa Maria. Exactly the same size. Which, you know, it seems, frankly, being out here, it seems kind of small. Because people have the idea that those uh, ships were big but this was the biggest they had. 
While everyone else is trying to get around Africa, Columbus is obsessing over the journals of the great explorer Marco Polo. Polo went over land way past India to the grand courts of Kublai Khan in China. Columbus is convinced he can sail west and reach this mysterious country. And for almost 10 years, he seeks funding for what most believe is a fantasy. But in 1492, he's finally granted sponsorship from Spain's Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand. On August 3rd of that year, Columbus, a crew of about 100 men, and three small but seaworthy ships, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, depart for Asia. Little does anyone know that only two ships will be coming back. If I'm gonna get inside Columbus's head, though, I'm gonna have to sail a mile in his shoes. Okay, so, all right, step one. Step one, you have to untie these sails. Okay, what do I pull? Uh, not here, you have to go up there. No, this, look, there's so many things here to pull. Doesn't on, one of these just make on. the sail drop? You just have to go up there and you will see it's very easy. It's very easy. Okay. Up like this. Yeah, this is very stable. Yes, now I can see you have Portuguese blood. Yeah, you're about to have some Portuguese blood on the deck of the ship in a minute. <laughs> While I hang on for dear life, the Portuguese Hugh Jackman here just keeps smiling, and another deckhand flies up like Mowgli from the Jungle Book. Wait, why are you so much faster than me? <laughs> That's good. We are just going slow ahead. Slow ahead. Slow ahead. I can go slow ahead. Be careful. It's moving a little bit. This is horrible. This is officially horrible. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm off the coast of Portugal aboard a life-size replica of Columbus flagship, the Santa Maria. This is crazy. So it's up higher. This is horrible. This is officially horrible. I'm up in the very creaky crow's nest to untie the sail. You are supposed to untie that rope there. Okay, untied. Can I get out of here now? Yes, you can come down. Okay, I'm coming down. I carefully descend down the ropes and get back to the deck. And with knots untied, we're ready to sail. How about that? Not as good. She sails. According to Columbus's calculations, he can sail west and reach the coast of China. And technically, he's right. But what he and nobody else in Europe knows is that the world is bigger than they thought, and that two entire continents and a lot of islands are standing in his way. And on October 11, 1492, after many waterlogged weeks at sea, Columbus finally spots land. Actually, one of his crew members does, but Columbus takes the credit. Ego. Ricardo and other experts believe the first sighting was probably of San Salvador in the Caribbean. And then, over the next two and a half months, a perplexed Columbus explores small islands and then the coast of Cuba, Haiti, and the Dominican Republic, all the while desperately looking for some indication that this is Asia. In the process, he discovers coffee, sugar, and spices, but no sign of gold, pearls, or China. I have to say, being out here, it really gives me an idea of how hard this must have been and how brave you'd have to be to set sail on a voyage like that. Even nowadays, it's not any sailor that can take a boat like a ship like this and sail to America. If anything happened to these guys, nobody was coming for them. No. They had a lot of confidence in Colombo's uh, ability to sail, to navigate. This replica has one advantage over its namesake, it still floats. Columbus's original flagship sank on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, off the shallow coastal waters of Haiti. Recently, divers spotted a submerged wreck that some believe could be the long-lost Santa Maria. To learn the truth, I need to follow Columbus's path to the New World. It's pretty wild to be flying over the same ocean that Columbus traversed hundreds of years ago. You know, it took him and his crew more than a month to sail down there in really tough conditions. Today, in a modern jetliner, we make the trip in about 10 hours, and you get to watch old Two and a Half Men episodes. So, maybe it was better on Columbus's ship. It's 3,500 miles from this island to my destination on another. Haiti. This is Cape Haitian. At one point, this was the richest city in the Caribbean. Today, it is a brightly colored maze of streets, equal parts charm and chaos. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, though Cap Haitian, its second largest city, is somewhat better off than its ravaged capital. Look past the chipped paint and the faded signs. Underneath, this place is absolutely alive. Okay, nice work, high five. 500 years ago, Haiti didn't yet exist. On Christmas Eve of 1492, the Santa Maria sailed along her northern coast. Columbus, according to his log, hands the tiller to a crewman and goes to sleep. That crewman leaves the Santa Maria in the hands of a young boy, 
It's like letting your 12-year-old pilot the space shuttle. Which is why on early Christmas morning, one of the world's greatest navigators crashes into a reef off northern Haiti. Columbus's journals place the wreck of the Santa Maria near a reef off the coast. And recently, one American explorer claimed to find it. To find out if he did, I'll need a guide. And in northern Haiti, looking for shipwrecks brings you to one man, Jean-Claude Dicmar. Bonjour. Bonjour. How are you? Fine, and you? I'm good. Don't let his age fool you. Jean-Claude is a machine. He's been documenting wrecks in Haiti for 40 years and even worked alongside Cousteau aboard the Calypso. This guy is full Steve Zizou. How many wrecks out here? 257. 257? Right, yes. Wow. Most of the known shipwrecks in this area were discovered by Jean-Claude. But there's one that has eluded his grasp. In 2013, famed American explorer Barry Clifford found a wreck nearby that he claimed was the Santa Maria. Case closed? Hardly. Since the wreck is so old, most of what's left are ballast stones. Large rocks used to stabilize the boat. Many disagreed with Clifford's claim, including Jean-Claude. So, yes, how yeah. many years have you been looking for the Santa Maria? About uh, 15 years. 15 years. The boat that everybody talked about in the news with Barry Clifford, that boat. Mm. Is that the Santa Maria? Mm, I don't think so. No. So you think it's still out there? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think the reef is that the Santa Maria hit? North of Capetian. Capetian uh -huh. is here, north is here. So somewhere off here? Somewhere off. And you can see reef, like right here, right? Yeah. That's reef. That's yeah, reef. Plenty of reef. Lots of reef. So many places for him to wreck. Over there. Over there, over there, over there. <laughs> it's not easy, right? Not easy. And now the verdict seems to be in. Recently, UN experts studied the find and declared that the wreck isn't old enough to be the lost ship. Jean-Claude has two new leads on possible wrecks, both from the local fishermen who've had their lines snagged on something just off the coast. is both far too large and far too modern to be the Santa Maria. Looks like there's some kind of older debris down here too. This is ceramic, encrusted over some kind of, some kind of container. It looks like an amphora. These are ancient amphoras, ceramic vessels that date back centuries. Crusted over by time and the elements is the barrel of a historic cannon. This is a cannon from the 1500s. It and the rest of this wreck has never been documented. However, the cannon doesn't match the type aboard Columbus's ship. This is likely a weapon from about 50 to 100 years later, when other explorers followed in Columbus's wake. I head to the surface, speechless at having been able to find something so historic. How was it? 
For me, this was the dive of a lifetime. For Jean-Claude, it's Tuesday. The hunt continues. After the Santa Maria runs aground on Christmas morning of 1492, Columbus makes a shocking decision. Before the boat sinks, he orders the deck timbers stripped and hauled on shore to build a fort that he names La Navidad. He commands that 39 men, whose ride home has crashed, will stay behind until Columbus can return. For hundreds of years, treasure hunters and researchers have been combing the Haitian waters to find the Santa Maria. It may be that the path to answers about the ship lies with finding the fort somewhere on land. I'm off to meet a nearby archaeologist who's trying to do exactly that. I walk into town to link up with him, that is, if I don't get hit by a bus. Hi, how are you doing? How are you doing, man? Good. It's a busy intersection to meet at. Yes, it is, but you know it's a right spot because we need to catch a ride. Catch a ride? Oh, we have to catch this one, yes. Okay. To get there, we're taking public transportation. And in Haiti, there are no bus stops. Wow, finally. We made it. This is the action up here. Can you feel the breeze there? Yeah. Each truck fits about a dozen people, and when you're ready to bail, you just tap the roof. Tap, tap. Yes, here we go. We're here. Okay. We arrive at our stop and make our way on foot toward a field where Alain is certain that the remains of La Navidad will be found. I didn't expect that the search for Columbus's ship would lead to a field. But we call this place Ambassaline. Ambassaline. Yes. Ambassaline is the name of an ancient settlement of indigenous people known as the Taino. Contrary to the myth that Columbus discovered the New World, when his three ships arrived in the Caribbean, the islands were positively swarming with life. By some estimates, there were more than one million Taino living in the islands off North America. When the ship of Santa Maria wake on the bay uh-huh. of Carpation, the tribe was there to receive Christopher Columbus. To the Taino, Columbus and his crew may as well be gods. Fair skin, huge ships, and the Taino have never even seen metal before. At first contact, one of them innocently grabs the blade of a sword and draws blood. A prophetic moment for what is to come. Columbus is welcomed warmly and leaves 39 men in La Navidad, surrounded by the Taino. And you think that that fort could be here? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. It's in this area. Yeah. Alain is systematically excavating the fields near the location where Columbus's anchor was found. All right, Columbus, come on. Where's your boat? We spend hours in the 95-degree heat digging up portions of the field. Archaeologically speaking, it's a treasure trove. Everywhere we put a shovel, we get something. Stop, stop, stop. Look at that. Seashell. So you find a lot of those here, yeah? Uh, Yes, we found a lot of seashells there. The seashells here are telling. Their presence means that they were brought inland and that this was a settlement, perhaps even La Navidad itself. Whoa, whoa, whoa. right there. Is that ceramic? Look at that. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. This is amazing. Unbelievable. Look at that. 
This museum-quality ceramic was made by the indigenous Taino people and likely depicts a leader, perhaps even the local king who met Columbus. This is a significant piece, and also that's a proof that the Taino village was there. Right. How old do you think this is? Maybe seven or 800 years. What Alain and other historians are discovering here paints a grim picture of Columbus and his crew. According to historic documents, Columbus grew impatient when he couldn't find the riches he promised to bring back to the court of Spain. Soon, the friendly Taino were being abused, forced to hunt for gold that didn't exist. The mistreatment was so bad that after Columbus left a part of his crew behind, the natives murdered them and burned the fort. This artifact is proof that a significant settlement was located right under our feet, perhaps even the fort of La Navidad itself, and the remains of Columbus's flagship could be next. I think there's no question that you're in the right spot, so it's just going to take some time to find it. Absolutely. Wow. But the story of Columbus doesn't end here. After losing his flagship, Columbus limps back to Spain on a grueling two-month voyage. He's declared a hero and named the Admiral of the Ocean Sea and governor of everything he's found. But Columbus was blinded by a dangerous obsession to reach China, and he was convinced that his first voyage had almost made it, so he sailed again. His second voyage brings him back across the Atlantic and past Dominica, Guadeloupe, St. Croix, the Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico. On the northern coast of Haiti, he discovers his men are dead and his fort destroyed. A third voyage brings him to the very edge of South America and back to Europe. And his fourth voyage takes him along the edge of Central America and along Honduras, Costa Rica, and Panama. All told, he sails nearly 50,000 miles, ping-ponging his way through the Caribbean, never once setting foot on North America, and driven mad by his inability to understand where he is. It is a misguided but epic journey, and the flagship that started it all may one day soon be found. But that's not the end of the story, because maybe the greatest mystery associated with Columbus isn't the location of his flagship, but the location of the explorer himself. Though he died in 1506, that didn't stop his travels. In death, his bones undertook a bizarre journey, jumping from continent to continent until finally two different countries laid claim to be his final resting place. One of those countries is on this very island. And so to get to the bottom of this mystery, I'm gonna have to cross borders and oceans and risk the scorn of two different nations to answer one very big question. Where is Christopher Columbus? The search for Columbus takes me across the island of Hispaniola, from Haiti to the Dominican Republic. In 1541, Columbus's body arrived here from Spain and was interred in the Cathedral of Santo Domingo, but that was only the beginning of his travels and the controversy. Originally, two boxes of bones were shipped here, one containing Columbus and the other his son, Diego. Here's how it went down. Columbus dies in Valladolid, Spain, and his body goes to Seville, and then across the Atlantic to the Cathedral of Santo Domingo in 1541. Then, when it looks like the French are going to conquer Santo Domingo, the Spanish move the box containing the explorer's bones to Havana, and then back to Spain for safekeeping. But during church renovations here in 1877, another box is found with the inscription, Columbus, Admiral of the Sea. Suddenly, the Dominicans are convinced that they've got Columbus and that the wrong bones are in Spain. 
Now the Dominicans keep their bones not at the Cathedral of Santo Domingo, but at this massive 700-foot-long concrete edifice in the shape of a cross. This is the Faro a Colón, or the Columbus Lighthouse. It was built in 1992 to commemorate the 500th anniversary of the discovery of the New World. It is an incredibly impressive building, but it is not without its detractors. After all, it cost a fortune and took six years to build. The lighthouse portion, which used to shine up and could be seen from as far away as Puerto Rico, well, that hasn't worked in years because every time they turn it on, the entire city blacks out. And to many people, this building looks less like a monument to an explorer and more like a temple to a Catholic demigod. Leo Perez is a historian who's been studying Columbus for decades. Along with his assistant, he's agreed to show me the lighthouse and its controversial prize possession. This is a really incredible building. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and this particular structure in the middle here, this, this mausoleum, what's inside this box? The real remains of Christopher Columbus. He's right here. Right inside there. It's quite a feeling to be just a few feet away from the most famous explorer in the world. Carreds. But is this really the Admiral's final resting place? It's a question that has divided two nations. I've heard some people say that they think he's in Spain. You feel 100% confident that he's here. Nobody has proof otherwise. Right, they're here. I don't believe it. I know it. You know it. The Dominicans submitted their bones for carbon dating, and while they do appear to be from the correct time period, they've refused to submit the DNA within the bones for genetic identification. Why not DNA test these bones? Because we are sure, absolutely, you know, sure that we really have the remains of Christopher Gold. We don't have to show to anybody. Right. You have I, nothing we to have prove. nothing to prove. Right. Leo's opinion is rock solid. He's as sure about this as gravity. But remember, there's another country in the world that claims to have the bones of Columbus. To explore their side of the case and to figure out who Columbus really was, I'm gonna need to see where the great explorer died. And that means we're going to Spain. Seville is the capital of the Andalusia region and is the only river port in the country. Phoenicians, Romans, Moors, and Castilians have all made their marks here, leaving behind incredibly varied buildings, from the Alcazar Castle, which moonlights on Game of Thrones, to the famed bullfighting arena, the Plaza del Toros. Yes, yes, yes. Just keep doing that, please. I'm headed to Seville's archives to do a bit of digging on Columbus, and to get there, I hail not a taxi, but a horse. Seville, what's not to like? This is the kind of city you fall in love in about every 20 minutes. You know what I mean? With the food, with the people. You just think, I could live here. And then you go, oh, no, wait. It's 112 degrees. I carry on to the archive of the Indies. After all, the missing bones aren't the only clues that can unlock the secrets of Columbus. This was the nerve center of the Spanish Empire. 30 miles of bookshelves filled with all of Spain's most important and heavily guarded documents. I'm meeting Consuelo Varela, a professor at the Spanish National Research Council, to try to understand who Columbus really was. So much of what we know about Columbus really comes from writings and journals. What kind of man emerges from the journals? A man who had an idea, an entrepreneur in one sense, mm -hmm. 
In Columbus's copy of Marco Polo's book, he made copious notes in the margins, expressing his dreams of finding riches in China. Marco Polo says that in the new world, there were rubies, eh, everything. He's writing sapphires. Sapphires, sapphires, rubies. Then she shows me something even more impressive. This is a document. Wow. It's a contract between Columbus and the king and the queen. This is from 1492? Yes. Oh, come on. So this is four months before the voyage? Yes. This document is more than historic. The signing of this piece of paper was the turning of an age. And what does the contract say? If he discovers some lands, mm-hmm. he will be named Admiral of the Sea. He will get a 90% of all the revenues. It turns out that Columbus was a pretty ruthless businessman. If his original contract was still valid today, we'd all be paying a tax to his family on everything we bought. But his writings also reveal a fiercely skilled and curious navigator who wanted to understand the unknown. This is astounding yeah. to, to, yes, to see this. Is. This document sets into motion a whole new world, really. His tenacity trip was incredible. Like, to decide to go to the ocean and with those three vessels so small. And he never really got the fame. No, not at the moment. Yeah. If he could see today his, his legacy, what do you think he well, would? Well, he will be very, very, the most happiest man in the world, I suppose. With a clearer sense of the man behind the legend, I head to the last major stop on my journey. Another place where the explorer might actually be located. And just like the lighthouse in the Dominican Republic, this place isn't exactly subtle. This is the Great Cathedral de Sevilla. It is the largest Gothic cathedral on the planet. It was built in the 15th century, took more than 100 years to complete, and it is an architectural masterpiece. And it is, at least according to the Spanish, the true final resting place of Christopher Columbus. The interior of the cathedral is awe-inspiring, soaring, mystical, and a place where us mere mortals feel very small. But there's no mistaking the main attraction here. Rising up over the congregation are four enormous statues carrying a draped coffin. It's so grand that you'd be forgiven for thinking they've got the Pope up there. But in fact, it's believed by many to be the bones of an explorer. After going to the New World, the Spanish moved what they believed was the box with Columbus's bones to Havana, before bringing them back to a monastery in Seville and then here to the nearby cathedral. But did they take the right box? Or, like the Dominicans claim, is someone else buried here? I try to get in for a closer look at the coffin, but then this happens. Not allowed. Very, very strict. Journalists uh, are not allowed to be on camera with the tomb. That's uh, against the rules. Uh, They have to remain separate. Very, very guarded. Despite making arrangements to film here, church officials are really uptight about anyone exploring this historic mystery. Honestly, it feels like it's bordering on conspiracy, and I try not to take it personally. Not a lot of leeway in there. Even just getting a camera crew in there was a huge amount of effort. But uh, first time getting thrown out of a cathedral? Are you kidding me on this show? (laughs) (laughs) I may not have made it up to the coffin itself, but fortunately for me, someone else has. Several years ago, the remains were briefly transferred to the University of Granada for testing. So that's where I'm headed next, to see if they managed to decipher the DNA. I hurried to meet Dr. Miguel Batella, professor of anthropology at the University of Granada. 
How many years at the university? ¿Cuántos años? 42 years. 42 years. Yes. When Columbus's crypt at the Seville Cathedral was last opened, Dr. Patella was there. In 2006, his team did DNA analysis on what was inside. He's agreed to share their findings with me. He shows me on a model what small pieces remained in the crypt. A little bit of the jaw, arm, a couple of leg bones, and a little bit of vertebrae. They removed the bones to do DNA analysis. They then swabbed the gums of hundreds of people around the world with the last name Cologne in Spain or Colombo in Italy. The idea was to try to determine Columbus's nationality, but the results were inconclusive. The DNA was a match, but that doesn't settle the case. It only means it's the same family. It could be Columbus, or it could be his son, if the wrong box was brought back from the New World. We couldn't get enough DNA out of the sample, to be sure. In terms of the physical examination, do you think that the samples match Columbus? Normally, I'd compare the bones with the images of the person, but Columbus never sat for a portrait. So every painting you've seen of Columbus isn't him. So every image that we have of him is made up? All invented by painters who never met him. We have no idea why he looked like. So I went to Santo Domingo. They say that everybody in Spain has it wrong. You guys are crazy. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe crazy. Yes. What, what do you say to the people there? How do you refute that? If they are so confident, then they should allow the world to test those bones. Until then, Columbus and his grave are a puzzle. Everything about him is a mystery, mm -hmm. even in death. Everything, yes. However. Even if the Dominicans don't open the remains of the lighthouse, there might still be hope for an answer. DNA technology is evolving fast. In the future, machines may be able to use the small sample we have to get a definitive answer. We've taken great pains to preserve the DNA we've recovered. Is it possible to see the sample? Yeah. I waste no time in racing downstairs to the DNA lab. It's possible that a little bit of Christopher Columbus is on the other side of this door. Here it is. This is it? Yeah. CC. Christopher Columbus. So this right here, this tiny piece of liquid, yeah. this could be Christopher Columbus. Yes. What I'm holding, against all odds, is very possibly a small vial of liquid history. This is incredible. The most famous explorer in the world that his DNA could be right here. Thank you so much for showing me this. You're welcome. I know it's a very little sample, but it's a big thrill. Yeah. It really is. It's amazing. What else do you have in here? Anything cool? Zombies? No. Aliens? No. Jimmy Hoffa? They're not quite there yet, but any day now, these scientists may be able to confirm the last resting place of the great explorer himself. In the past two weeks, I have flown thousands of miles across the globe to shed light on the mysteries of Columbus. In looking for his lost flagship, the Santa Maria, reports that it has been found now seem premature. But there is evidence beneath the sea oh my God, look at that. and on land oh my God. of an entire era of history yet to be recorded. And in the search for Columbus's remains, I followed his five-century voyage across two continents. I've seen two coffins with his name on it and even held what could be a vial of his DNA. My professional hunch is that after so many relocations, Christopher Columbus's remains are likely scattered across the continents that he himself connected. But more than anything, I see him as both hero and villain, who deserves the admiration for his daring mastery of the seas and condemnation for what he did when he crossed to the other shore.
But without him, none of us who call the new world home would be here. Without his vision and his tenacity, our own lives may never have come to be. As citizens of the modern world, we have to live with Columbus's legacy, learn from his mistakes, celebrate his triumphs, and continue to explore new worlds beyond our own. <laughs>